Tech Talk. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, esports is considered the fastest growing sport and may appear at the next Olympics. We'll hear from the team behind a new academy in Cork looking to build up the Irish talent pool. And the Chief Wellbeing Officer at Aon will explain how data could be the key to unlocking the next iteration of employee potential. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. Earlier this week, a new facility called the Wild Academy opened in Cork. The company is co-owned by Usain Bolt and is the first esports academy in Ireland. Steve Daly is the co-founder and CEO and he joins me now. Uh, Steve, firstly, congratulations on the big opening. Can you just start by telling us what exactly it entails? Um, so it's, it's a physical building. So it's the first physical uh, esports academy in the country, uh, which is exciting in its own right. Um, I think the academy is the first step to build a proper support infrastructure um, for Irish esports athletes as well as content creators. Yeah, I've had a lot of conversations with people over the years about esports and I suppose some people still struggle to grasp the fact that this isn't just people playing games, like it's a level up from that. So for those who haven't quite grasped it yet, can you just give us a bit of an intro to esports and how it differs from, you know, me sitting at home and playing the Switch for a few hours? Yeah, of course. Uh, So just to give some perspective, um, gaming has exploded over the last two decades, as as most people know. Um, So gaming is now, as an industry, um, larger than TV and film and almost TV, film and music combined and it continues to grow. Um, esports is, is an all-encompassing term. So it's, it's competitive person-to-person video game competitions and structured tournaments and leagues. Um, so um, the audience uh, for esports stands at about 500 million. So it's the fastest growing spectator sport on the planet. Um, and according to people like DW or PwC and Deloitte, they're expected to breach 750 million in terms of an audience in the next two to three years. So it will surpass global basketball from an audience perspective. Um, and again, bear in mind that 40% of the planet doesn't still have access to the internet. Um, so th- the growth will continue, in my opinion. Um, if you, if you look at esports, um, esports has been around for a long time, but I think in the last four to five years, it's fundamentally changed. So in 2017, Riot and Activision basically franchised their leagues of League of Legends and Overwatch. And then Activision followed through in 2018 with Call of Duty. So that changed the game completely. So suddenly the publishers didn't control everything. They were giving proper league structures in place and they were giving ownership to teams and organizations in terms of those league positions. Um, Much like the NBA, the NFL, the Premier League. Mm. Uh, And and in these last number of years, you've seen an influx of traditional sports organizations and private equity, investors, enthusiasts, 
and try and harness that opportunity by establishing esports organizations and teams in various titles or games. Yeah, and we we had a, a gentleman on the show about two years ago now, and he was talking us uh, talking us through the money involved, as you've just alluded to there, in esports and how you know the sponsorship deals, the prize money on offer, like it's a serious. Uh, sport field of sport now. Uh, not that long ago, we had Munster Rugby on talking about what they're doing in terms of esports uh, trainings and so on. But I, I suppose I, I'm curious to know a little bit more about what the academy will do in terms of nurturing and supporting, and why having this physical building is beneficial to those t- partaking in esports. Um. So so we well looked at the world a little bit differently. So my background isn't um. Gaming. I, I was I was in finance for twenty years. Um, I I worked with some of the big publishers from a finance perspective, so understood the landscape of gaming. Um, I came back to Ireland about six years ago. Went back to college, did a master's in sports management, um, and got asked to help establish a not-for-profit governing body for gaming and esports in the country. Um, and that opened my eyes in terms of the sector. Um, and I think what's What's important is the sector has grown rapidly in the last three to four years without the necessary professional standards that you would expect in, in other sectors, industries, walks of life. And so we at Wild spent about 18 months trying to understand and map the landscape. And one of the things that became very obvious was the support structures that weren't in place, not only in Ireland, but broadly across the world around the athletes and, and those individuals who wanted to, to, to try and aspire to be the best that they could be in, in what they love doing. And, and that was it with competitive gaming. So um, I, I think what we've tried to do is just look at it in a different way. And, and if you want people to succeed and um, yeah, achieve, achieve what they really want to do, they need to be in the right environment. And, and having an academy in place that can create that environment of support and infrastructure is really important. Mm. We, we know that, you know, if you go to, say, a rugby academy or whatever it is, you get trained in terms of skill, but also stamina and, you know, the, the fuel that you're putting into your body. All of those different elements come to the fore in traditional sports, shall we call them. Are there elements of that when it comes to esports as well, in terms of that stamina and the focus and ensuring that you're eating the right thing, you're not having too much caffeine and all the rest, because you do need to be focused and your dexterity needs to be on point and all the rest. Hundred percent. So again, if, if if we take that analogy between traditional sports and esports, um, many individuals who have carved out the career and their determination and their mindset in traditional sports made that decision at a very early age. Um, mm. in terms of this is the career that they wanted to follow. Um, esports is different. You know, a lot of the biggest titles on the planet or games on the planet are only six or seven years old. So a lot of our athletes determined that they, they were gifted and had potential when they were 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, maybe, maybe in later. Um, so suddenly they, they found they were good at something suddenly there was an opportunity to make money but that that determined that determination that mindset that focus and that support infrastructure hasn't necessarily been there um, to elongate their career and allow them continue to to forge and try and be as best as they could be so 
that, that, that's what we're trying to do, we're trying to create that environment, trying to create that support structure. Um, as we went on this journey, um, I spent a lot of time last year, last summer in particular, talking to ex-athletes, ex-coaches, um, orgs that were no longer in existence in terms of trying to understand what went wrong and what went right. Um, and there's some really bad stories in terms of, you know, young men and women who had decided that they wanted to go down this route um, organizations promising them the world in terms of support and, and monetary reward um, and not necessarily following through. And, and some of these individuals would have you know, dropped out of school or dropped out of college to try and you know, make a career. Um, so I, I think there's, there's a duty of responsibility and a duty of care that, that esports organizations need to take on board if they're going to do it the right way. Um, and, and just what I would say, the opportunity is still very much there in esports. It continues to grow, but it's difficult. You know, mm. it, it, it's a hard journey. Sponsorship is still a very large component of the revenue stream. Traditional brands want to be involved, but to understand the landscape and, and how they should approach it and how they should be involved takes time. So our, our partnership with Virgin Media, it took over 12 months in terms of building a relationship with each other, building trust with each other, um, allowing them to believe that we we took a duty of care of their brand, which they put significant mental resource and, and, and financial resource behind to build and care and look after, um, and handing it to an esports org to to be you know one of our flagship brands um, is very important that the relationship is in place. Yeah, I think it, it adds a huge amount of credibility to see brands like Virgin Media. I think Puma is another one as well that are working alongside you guys. It just does, it, it sort of banishes the notion of, sure, isn't it nice for them playing their games? I, I think it does kind of help for those people who don't understand it. One thing that I'm really interested in, though, is the move for individuals to move from, you know, a hobbyist gamer towards a professional esports athlete. Is that something that's big, that's sort of, the norm here in Ireland or is it still a, 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 an oddity I suppose for somebody to make that leap and what what's the age demographic of the people going through the academy? Um, so we we have we have teams in, in four leagues across Europe um, we would love to have more Irish representation on the teams um, the support structures to to identify that talent in Ireland isn't there yet I think the academy will help in that way um, is it an anomaly? Yes. Are there individuals who have done phenomenally well on the global stage? Yes. Um, we'll unveil a new Rainbow Six Siege roster that will compete at Tier 1 European level. Uh, competition starts later this month. We'll have an Irish representative. Um, so I, I think it, it's moving in the right direction. It's, it's, it's a slow evolution. Um, other countries have been much more supportive, both from a, a political as well as a cultural um, embracing of esports. And Scandinavian countries, without question, some of the Asian countries, without question. Um, you know, Macron is making a, a very significant push to have esports included in the 2024 Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. The Olympics came out this week and announced an esports week this week um, with nine specific titles, um, which I think is a big step again in terms of mainstream traditional sport understanding and accepting that 
this is where eyeballs are going. This is where the youth of today see and engage and consume entertainment. Um, and uh, you know, they're, they're commercial entities, whether that be traditional sporting tournaments or whether it be um, commercial companies that need to attract those eyeballs and need to make sure that they're relevant. Um, I think there's, a, there's definitely an evolution in movement, but, but I would say, <coughs> excuse me, um, it's a hard sector. Um, we've been at this for three years. Um, it's taken time to understand the landscape. It's taken time to build relationships with the publishers, i.e. those who make the games, um, the stakeholders, the sponsors, the media rights holders, the tournament organizers. Um, but I think if you can bring a level of professionalism and raise that standard of what you're doing, um, then I think, yeah, then I think there's a prize at the end of this. But, but again, like traditional sports leagues, it took decades to establish the structures properly. And I think it'll be the same in esports. Yeah I, think yeah, I think it's funny, you know, I bet my bottom dollar that in five years' time, everyone will be talking about the overnight success of esports and why weren't we on it sooner, not realising that all this work has gone into it in the background for such a long time. Um, one thing that I wanted to pick up on briefly was just in relation to, you know, the up-and-coming talent that we know we have here in Ireland. And we know the popularity, particularly with younger demographics, you know, kids watch other people playing games. They're so intrigued by it and they understand the skill and, as I said earlier on, the stamina. But one thing that can be a barrier uh, to esports is obviously access to the technology to get involved in it and to try your hand at it yourself. Is that something that we as a country need to do better at or is that something that, look, it's just the way the cookie crumbles? No, I, th- I, th- I think we're, we're, we're privileged um, so a, a third of the world's population game, um, 40% of the world don't have internet access. We, we, we're, we're blessed with our internet access and, and our technology capabilities in this country. Um, I think um, in a conversation with Virgin Media, I think you know, estimates are there's probably a million people who game in this country on a, on a proactive basis, um, which, is, which is amazing. And, and again, it's more cultural acceptance than anything else. And, and again, I, I'd stress, somebody said this to me a while ago, they said um, th- there's three types of media. Um, there's social media, and just you and me can debate long and hard whether social media is good or bad. Um, there's passive media, which is, which is me sitting down in the evening, turning on Netflix and watching something. And, and when it's over, I kind of almost forget what I've watched. Um, and then there's active media, which is gaming, which is, um, pulling people in, um, building a community of communication, um, building resilience in terms of playing a game, you lose, you keep on coming back for more and trying to hone your skill. Um, and what, what I discovered during COVID through our indie sports, this, this not-for-profit entity that we, we established, we worked with the likes of the Community Games and with Faroga and with Jigsaw because they were struggling to connect with their members. Mm. And because they couldn't hold physical events. But these entities that had almost fought against gaming for a long time suddenly realized this is how the youth of today communicate. They put on their headsets and they talk and and they work together as teams. They they don't necessarily call each other on phones anymore. They use WhatsApp or Snapchat or or other um, platforms. But this is how they talk on a regular basis. And when I speak to our athletes or those that are involved in Wild, they'll 
They'll talk about their best friends being in Tokyo or in Australia or in Denver or in Colorado. Not that they've met them, but that's who they talk to on a regular basis and have built relationships with. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we, we're, we're blessed to have um, a co-owner um, and a brand ambassador in the form of Usain Bolt. Um, and one, he's a lifelong gamer. But one of the other reasons that he got involved was it's accessible to everybody. So rich, poor, black, white, you know, male, female, disabled, fully abled, you can game. You can find your niche. You can find the game that you 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 connect with um, and you can find the community that you collect, connect with through that game. Um, so you asked about age demographics. Um, it's broad spread. You know, one gaming is very broad spread, but on esports, the research from the states indicates that the average esports fan is 32. Yeah. Um, 40% of college educated with a $70,000 income stream. Very different than than if if you'd asked me three or four years ago before I went on this journey, I, I would have thought the demographic would have been very much younger. Um, um, but it's very diverse. It's uh, it's very multicultural, and um, yeah, it's 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 it can be. It's not perfect, but it can be an incredibly inclusive community if it's done right. Yeah, and I suppose that's that's my final question to you because something like the Wild Academy, which is now open in Cork, as we've mentioned, uh, that's a fantastic leap from where we were even last week. Never mind last year, right? But what more can we do and should we do to change perceptions of esports? Because I'm fed up having conversations with people about gaming and they go, oh, like I used to play when I was 17, but I've outgrown it. And that people are so dismissive. They're so quick to be dismissive about it. And I just feel that, as I said, in five years time, we're all going to be following this as part of whether it's an Olympic tournament or whatever it is, people will be bought into it. So what can we do to try and change perceptions and normalise the gaming culture a little bit more so it's not this niche thing off to the left? I don't know, Jess, being honest. I, I think it's a matter of time. I, I don't think it's it's my place or even your place to try and force people to change their opinions of whether esports should be considered a sport or whether it's real competition or not. I think the tide is just shifting. Um, and again, we mentioned we mentioned the, the Olympics, the Commonwealth Games awarded esports medals this year, um, MROs, um, from Northern Ireland, uh, won a gold medal in e-football, which is just an incredible achievement. Um, she's part of the trans community, which again is an incredible kind of flag-bearing achievement for, for her and, and for everybody. Um, Invictus Games will give medals. The Pan American Games will give medals. The athletes competing in the Pan American Games this year will stay in the uh, the village with the athletics athletes, they'll participate in the, the medal ceremonies and the parades and the, the celebrations within the Pan American Games, which is just amazing. The Asian Games issued medals. Um, so I, I think it's just a direction of travel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a generation that are coming through that are um, that accept it as normal. Um, and, and again, I said this to somebody last week, a prospective sponsor um, asked, "Why? Why do they? Why do 
kids, watch this. Um, and, and the best answer that I could come up with was, I'm an 11 year old son, um, for, for, for good and bad, he supports Spurs. Um, so he, he loves football. Um, he games as well, but not either or, does both. Um, but he can't go to a Spurs game because they're a London-based club. If, if I didn't have BT or Sky, he couldn't watch it on TV because it's pay-per-view. Um, and he can't go to the pub, obviously, because he's a left. Um, so he's been pre-programmed to consume sport in a very different way through his device in, in shortened version. Um, and, and he can't interact with the club. He can't interact with the players. While eSports, he can watch for free on Twitch. He can interact with players and works which will proactively engage and make him feel part of the community. He plays with his, his friends at the weekend and communicates with them. There's a competitive element, the teamwork element. Um, in, in some ways, traditional sports has, has helped um, um, eyeballs go towards esports. Um, and, and again, you know, everyone talks about Amazon in terms of changing the retail landscape. Um, and if you know Amazon a little bit more, you'll know about AWS and their web hosting services. I don't think many people know about Twitch, which is a platform that they bought in 2014 for just shy of a billion dollars, which, which streams esports. Um, and I would argue that it would have to be probably the fastest growing media platform on the planet at the moment. Um, it's amazing, absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's such a good point. And there, there are people that I know who watch Twitch more than they watch traditional TV or YouTube or like any other, like Netflix, anything like that, because it's where the content that they want to consume. It's like sitting down to watch a match on a Tuesday night at quarter to eight. It's the exact same thing. Hundred percent. They, they yeah. don't want to watch what's on traditional TV anymore. They, they want to consume what what they enjoy watching. Well, the tide is turning and this is an, an excellent uh, leap forward. As I said, we wish you the very best of luck with it. Uh, Steve Daly, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Jess. Take care. Now, when we come back here on News Talk, we'll hear how data could be the key to unlocking employee potential. 